Section 30 of Commentary on the Epistles of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Commentary on the Epistles of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, Volume 1, by John Calvin. Translated by Rev. John Pringle. 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. All things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ, and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid! What, know ye not that he which is joined unto an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication! Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 12. All things are lawful for me. Interpreters labor hard to make out the connection of these things, as they appear to be somewhat foreign to the Apostle's design. For my own part, without mentioning the different interpretations, I shall state what, in my opinion, is the most satisfactory. It is probable that the Corinthians even up to that time retained much of their former licentiousness, and had still a savor of the morals of their city. Now when vices stalk abroad with impunity, custom is regarded as law, and then afterwards vain pretexts are sought for by way of excuse, an instance of which we have in their resorting to the pretext of Christian liberty, so as to make almost everything allowable for themselves to do. They reveled in excess of luxury. With this there was, as usual, much pride mixed up. As it was an outward thing, they did not think that there was any sin involved in it. Nay more, it appears from Paul's words that they abused liberty so much as to extend it even to fornication. Now therefore, most appropriately, after having spoken of their vices, he discusses those base pretexts by which they flattered themselves in outward sins. It is indeed certain that he treats here of outward things, which God has left to the free choice of believers, but by making use of a term expressive of universality, he either indirectly reproves their unbridled licentiousness, or extols God's boundless liberality, which is the best directress to us of moderation. For it is a token of excessive licentiousness, when persons do not, of their own accord, restrict themselves, and set bounds to themselves, amid such manifold abundance. And in the first place, he limits liberty by two exceptions, and secondly, he warns them that it does not by any means extend to fornication. These words, all things are lawful for me, must be understood as spoken in name of the Corinthians, 
cat anthipophoran by anticipation as though he had said i am aware of the reply which you are accustomed to make when desirous to avoid reproof for outward vices you pretend that all things are lawful for you without any reserve or limitation but all things are not expedient here we have the first exception by which he restricts the use of liberty that they must not abandon themselves to licentiousness because respect must be had to edification the meaning is it is not enough that this or that is allowed us to be made use of indiscriminately for we must consider what is profitable to our brethren whose edification it becomes us to study for as he will afterwards point out at greater length first corinthians ten twenty three and twenty four and as he has already shown in romans fourteen thirteen etc every one has liberty inwardly in the sight of god on this condition that all must restrict the use of their liberty with a view to mutual edification i will not be brought under the power of anything here we have a second restriction that we are constituted lords of all things in such a way that we ought not to bring ourselves under bondage to anything as those do who cannot control their appetites for i understand the word tinos any to be in the neuter gender and i take it as referring not to persons but to things so that the meaning is this we are lords of all things only we must not abuse that lordship in such a way as to drag out a most miserable bondage being through intemperance and inordinate lusts under subjection to outward things which ought to be under subjection to us and certainly the excessive moroseness of those who grudge to yield up anything for the sake of their brethren has this effect that they unadvisedly put halters of necessity around their own necks thirteen meats for the belly and the belly for meats here he shows what use ought to be made of outward things for the necessity of the present life which passes away quickly as a shadow agreeably to what he says afterwards first corinthians seven twenty nine we must use this world so as not to abuse it and hence too we infer how improper it is for a christian man to contend for outward things when a dispute therefore arises respecting corruptible things a pious mind will not anxiously dwell upon these things for liberty is one thing the use of it is another this statement accords with another that the kingdom of god is not meat and drink romans fourteen seventeen now the body is not for fornication having mentioned the exceptions he now states still farther that our liberty ought not by any means to be extended to fornication for it is an evil that was so prevalent at that time that it seemed in a manner as though it had been permitted as we may see also from the decree of the apostles acts fifteen twenty where in prohibiting the gentiles from fornication they place it among things indifferent for there can be no doubt that this was done because it was very generally looked upon as a lawful thing hence paul says now there is a difference between fornication and meats for the lord has not ordained the body for fornication as he has the belly for meats and this he confirms with things contrary or opposite inasmuch as it is consecrated to christ and it is impossible that christ should be conjoined with fornication what he adds and the lord for the body 
is not without weight, for while God the Father has united us to his Son, what wickedness there would be in tearing away our body from that sacred connection, and giving it over to things unworthy of Christ. 14. And God hath also raised up the Lord. He shows from Christ's condition how unseemly fornication is for a Christian man. For Christ having been received into the heavenly glory, what has he in common with the pollutions of this world? Two things, however, are contained in these words. The first is, that it is unseemly and unlawful, that our body, which is consecrated to Christ, should be profaned by fornication, inasmuch as Christ himself has been raised up from the dead, that he might enter on the possession of the heavenly glory. The second is, that it is a base thing to prostitute our body to earthly pollutions, while it is destined to be a partaker along with Christ of a blessed immortality and of the heavenly glory. There is a similar statement in Colossians 3.1, If we have risen with Christ, etc., with this difference, that he speaks here of the last resurrection only, while in that passage he speaks of the first also, or in other words, of the grace of the Holy Spirit, by which we are fashioned again to a new life. As, however, the resurrection is a thing almost incredible, Acts 26.8, to the human mind, when the scripture makes mention of it, it reminds us of the power of God, with the view of confirming our faith in it. Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. 15. Know ye not that our bodies are the members, etc. Here we have an explanation, or if you prefer it, an amplification of the foregoing statement. For that expression, the body is for the Lord, might, owing to its brevity, be somewhat obscure. Hence he says, as if with the view of explaining it, that Christ is joined with us and we with him in such a way that we become one body with him. Accordingly, if I have a connection with an harlot, I tear Christ in pieces, so far as it is in my power to do so, for it is impossible for me to draw him into fellowship with such pollution. Now as that must be held in abhorrence, he makes use of the expression which he is accustomed to employ in reference to things that are absurd, God forbid. Observe that the spiritual connection which we have with Christ belongs not merely to the soul, but also to the body, so that we are flesh of his flesh, etc., Ephesians 5.30. Otherwise the hope of a resurrection were weak, if our connection were not of that nature, full and complete. 16. Know ye not that he that is joined to an harlot. He brings out more fully the greatness of the injury that is done to Christ by the man that has intercourse with an harlot. For he becomes one body, and hence he tears away a member from Christ's body. It is not certain in what sense he accommodates to his design the quotation which he subjoins from Genesis 2.24 for if he quotes it to prove that two persons who commit fornication together become one flesh, he turns it aside from its true meaning to what is quite foreign to it. For Moses speaks there not of a base and prohibited cohabitation of a man and a woman, but of the marriage connection which God blesses. For he shows that that bond is so close and indissoluble, that it surpasses the relationship which subsists between a father and a son, which assuredly can have no reference to fornication. This consideration has led me sometimes to think 
that this quotation is not brought forward to confirm the immediately preceding statement, but the one that is more remote, in this way. Moses says that by the marriage connection, husband and wife become one flesh, but he that is joined to the Lord becomes not merely one flesh, but one spirit with him. And in this way, the whole of this passage would tend to magnify the efficacy and dignity of the spiritual marriage which subsists between us and Christ. If, however, any one does not altogether approve of this exposition, as being rather forced, I shall bring forward another. For as fornication is the corruption of a divine institution, it has some resemblance to it and what is affirmed respecting the former may to some extent be applied to the latter not that it may be honoured with the praises due to the former but for the purpose of expressing the more fully the heinousness of the sin the expression therefore that they too become one flesh is applicable in the true and proper sense to married persons only but it is applied to fornicators who are joined in a polluted and impure fellowship meaning that contagion passes from the one to the other. For there is no absurdity in saying that fornication bears some resemblance to the sacred connection of marriage, as being a corruption of it, as I have said. But the former has a curse upon it, and the other a blessing. Such is the correspondence between things that are contrasted in an antithesis. At the same time, I would prefer to understand it, in the first instance, of marriage, and then, in an improper sense, of fornication, in this way. God pronounces husband and wife to be one flesh, in order that neither of them may have connection with another flesh, so that the adulterer and adulteress do, also, become one flesh, and involve themselves in an accursed connection. And certainly this is more simple, and agrees better with the context. 17 he that is joined to the Lord. He has added this to show that our connection with Christ is closer than that of a husband and wife, and that the former accordingly must be greatly preferred before the latter, so that it must be maintained with the utmost chastity and fidelity. For if he who is joined to a woman in marriage ought not to have illicit connection with an harlot, much more heinous were this crime in believers, who are not merely one flesh with Christ, but also one spirit. Thus there is a comparison between greater and less. 18. Flee fornication, every sin, etc. Having set before us honourable conduct, he now shows how much we ought to abhor fornication, setting before us the enormity of its wickedness and baseness. Now he shows its greatness by comparison, that this sin alone, of all sins, puts a brand of disgrace upon the body. The body, it is true, is defiled also by theft and murder and drunkenness, in accordance with those statements, your hands are defiled with blood, Isaiah 1.15. You have yielded your members instruments of iniquity unto sin, Romans 4.19, and the like. Hence some, in order to avoid this inconsistency, understand the words rendered against his own body, as meaning against us, as being connected with Christ. But this appears to me to be more ingenious than solid. Besides, they do not escape even in this way, because that same thing too might be affirmed of idolatry equally with fornication. For he who prostrates himself before an idol sins against connection with Christ. 
Hence I explain it in this way, that he does not altogether deny that there are other vices, in like manner, by which our body is dishonoured and disgraced, but that his meaning is simply this, that defilement does not attach itself to our body from other vices in the same way as it does from fornication. My hand, it is true, is defiled by theft or murder, my tongue by evil speaking or perjury, and the whole body by drunkenness. But fornication leaves a stain impressed upon the body, such as is not impressed upon it from other sins. According to this comparison, or in other words in the sense of less and more, other sins are said to be without the body, not, however, as though they do not at all affect the body, viewing each one by itself. 19. Know ye not that your body. He makes use of two additional arguments in order to deter us from this filthiness. First, that our bodies are temples of the Spirit, and secondly, that the Lord has bought us to himself as his property. There is an emphasis implied in the term temple, for as the Spirit of God cannot take up his abode in a place that is profane, we do not give him a habitation otherwise than by consecrating ourselves to him as temples. It is a great honour that God confers upon us when he desires to dwell in us. Psalm 132.14. Hence we ought so much the more to fear, lest he should depart from us, offended by our sacrilegious actings. And ye are not your own. Here we have a second argument, that we are not at our own disposal, that we should live according to our own pleasure. He proves this from the fact that the Lord has purchased us for himself by paying the price of our redemption. There is a similar statement in Romans 14.9. To this end Christ died and rose again, that he might be the Lord of the living and the dead. Now the word rendered price may be taken in two ways either simply, as we commonly say of anything that it has cost a price, when we mean that it has not been got for nothing, or, as used instead of the adverb timios, at a dear rate, as we are accustomed to say of things that have cost us much. This latter view pleases me better. In the same way, Peter says, Ye are redeemed, not with gold and silver, but with the precious blood of the Lamb, without spot. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. The sum is this, that redemption must hold us bound, and with a bridle of obedience restrain the lasciviousness of our flesh. 20. Glorify God. From this conclusion, it appears that the Corinthians took a liberty to themselves in outward things that it was necessary to restrain and bridle. The reproof, therefore, is this. He shows that the body is subject to God no less than the soul, and that accordingly it is reasonable that both be devoted to his glory. As it is befitting that the mind of a believer should be pure, so there must be a corresponding outward profession also before men, inasmuch as the power of both is in the hands of God, who has redeemed both. With the same view he declared a little ago, that not only our souls but our bodies also are temples of the Holy Spirit, that we may not think that we discharge our duty to him aright, if we do not devote ourselves wholly and entirely to his service, that he may by his word regulate even the outward actions of our life. End of section 30